podcast of Antioch Church in Colorado Springs. If you've been impacted by this ministry and would like to support the work we're doing in Colorado Springs, you can give online at our website, antiochcos.com. We hope that the Lord ministers to you through this message. Well, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab those and turn with me, if you would, to the book of John, chapter 1. I, I'm going to read the scripture, and uh, we're going to have a little bit of a different kind of word this morning. It's going to be a, a, very, a very personal word. It's going to be something I'm going to share a little bit more from uh, the milestones and the altars and the benchmarks of, of my own life. For those of you who are new today, or you were not here yesterday and you're a part of the house, uh, you guys... Uh, surprised the socks off of Christy and me. And did I say yesterday? Last week, last week's, last week. And uh, it was such a beautiful and overwhelming and healing and faith-filling weekend for us. And words really just do not do justice, but I'm going to try. So I've, I've written uh, an, an, an initial and an immediate response of Thanksgiving uh, and gratitude for all of you. I want to read that. I'm going to connect that into the word at some in some way. And then I want to share from this particular passage of scripture from some of the important moments in my life. So let's go, if we could, to the book of John. We're going to start right here in chapter 1. And we're going to begin in verse 29. Jesus, we ask that you would, by the power of your spirit, that you would breathe life, not only on the written word, but you would breathe life on the spoken word. And somehow, God, I pray that you would take um, what you have done in my life in the past 30 years of knowing you, in the past 25 years of preaching for you, in the past 20 years of serving you, and in the past 10 years of leading in a senior capacity. God, I pray you take all of that and Lord, somehow make sense of it and use it redemptively to speak to the hearts and the lives of your people today. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Verse 29, the next day, John saw Jesus coming towards him and he said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. No, it's not a riddle. It's just the reality of who Christ, the eternal one is before he became a man. I myself did not know him. But the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. Jesus is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit, you guys. I have seen and I testify that it is God's chosen one. Verse 35, the next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. And when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, or behold, the Lamb of God. And when the two disciples of John, when they heard him say this, they left John and they started following Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following, and he said, what do you want? And they said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said, come, and you will see. So they went, and they saw where he was staying, 
And they spent that day with him. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. And the first thing Andrew did was to find his brother and to tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. And Jesus looked at him and he said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God for your wonderful word. So as, as I was looking at this passage weeks ago, this is the text for the morning. Um, so many wonderful angles and avenues that we could take today. And so many places I was prepared and studied and, and ready to go. Uh, the first of which was this phrase here, and when you see the one on whom the spirit descends and remains, this is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. I don't know in the spirit, in the season of epiphany, I don't know if this revelation of who Jesus is as the one who baptizes with the spirit, is that, is that prominent? Is that prominent in our lives? Is that prominent in the church at large? I mean, we know Jesus as Savior. We know Jesus as Redeemer. We know Jesus as so many things. But do we know Jesus as the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit? That is, that is a title. That is a function. That is a part of who Christ is. So we could have talked about that. We're not going to go there today. We'll save that for Pentecost. All right? The second thing that really stood out to me here was you know, as, as soon as Andrew finds out who Jesus is, what does he do? He runs and he tells Simon, and I love this phrase, and he brought Simon to Jesus. Guys, this faith that you and I have inherited, it is a faith that only lives if it is shared. And, and you know, evangelism has gotten a bad rap, and it's, I think, in a postmodern, respecting everyone's boundaries, politically correct culture. Uh, we tend to shy away from the idea of bringing people to Christ, sharing the reality of who Christ is. Um, and maybe at some point down the line, we'll talk a little bit more about, like, we are on mission with God. And we would not, think about this, we would not be here today had Andrew not brought Simon to Jesus. You would not be here if someone in your life did not bring you to Jesus. And every one of us are connected to someone that we can bring to Jesus. But we'll share a little bit more on that later in the year. I've been deeply reflective, as you can imagine. Number one, it's the turn of the year. I always get deeply reflective. Number two, um, as we celebrated last week, 20 years of vocational ministry, 10 years as the senior pastors of Antioch. And so I thought this was so appropriate because it really is the beginning of the journey for Andrew and Simon, who becomes Peter. And I've done a lot of thinking on the beginning of my journey, and we have limited time, so I'm not going to share all the details of that. But what I'd like to do today after I read my a letter of thanksgiving to all of you is, is I'd like to reflect on some of the key lessons, some of the things that have shaped my life um, in 30 years of following Christ faithfully. And I would hope that something would be able to be of service to you and help you in your journey of following Jesus faithfully. So first and foremost, let me just read this if I could. Dear Antioch, Thank you 
To say that we were both surprised and overwhelmed by last week's celebration would be a tremendous understatement. The service and the reception were so special, meaningful, and especially beautiful. We relished in the opportunity to connect with as many of you as possible, reflecting on God's faithfulness together and mutually expressing our affection and our gratitude one for another. My particular and sincere thank you to every person who was involved with the elements of last weekend, from surprising us with such a memorable dinner, to watching our children, to the many of you who transformed a multi-purpose children's room into such a warm and stunning reception. Your thoughtfulness and attention to detail truly blessed us in the fullest sense of the word. Christy and I poured over every word you wrote in cards, letters, and notes, and we received deeply the life and the love that you imparted into our souls. What a gift. You spoke things into us and over us that we either had not seen or that we had forgotten. Proverbs 16, 24 says, gracious words are a honeycomb. They are sweet to the soul and they are healing to the bones. Your kindness to us and all of its expressions marked us and it sent a massive wind of life into our sails. It also reminded me and in the best way convicted me of the immense power of a life-giving word of encouragement. We also want to express our deep and heartfelt gratitude for the many of you who blessed the Duncan household with generous gifts. I know that each of you gave sincerely and that some of you gave sacrificially. And this has made a profound impact upon us. And it's something that we aim to steward with the fear of the Lord and also with the joy of the Lord. Antioch, you are a good house and you are a beautiful people. Thank you for choosing to show up in the countless ways that you do. Your presence, your lives, and your stories are sacred to us. And it is truly an honor to be your pastors. Thank you. We, uh, we aim to continue to show our thanksgiving and gratitude to you guys throughout the year, but we didn't want too much time to, to go by before we said something. Okay, number one, if you're taking notes, uh, some of these I'll tether scriptures to, but for the sake of time, I might just try to get through as many of these as possible. Um, what are some things I've learned and what are some things I believe will be a benefit to you that I think were purchased um, through pain, that were purchased through a lot of trial and adversity? Number one is to protect your passion for Jesus. If we're gonna make it in the Christian life, if you are gonna be a follower of Jesus at the end of your life, to the same degree that you are at the beginning of your life. And guys, that's the goal. The goal is that when we're old and gray, that we are more fiery for Christ, that our hearts are more deeply devoted, we're more in love, we're more fascinated with who Jesus is than when we started this race. I think it's easy in the Christian faith to start off and to start off with a lot of emotion, a lot of excitement, uh, but the goal is not just to shoot out really, really fast and be sensational and spectacular. The goal is not even to be really, really gifted. I, I think the goal at the end of the day is that after 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years of faithfulness to Christ, we are more deeply enriched in love with him and we know him. And, but we, in order for that to happen, we've got to protect that passion. Life will try to steal our passion for Jesus. People will hurt us. 
people will offend us, resentment, the poison, the toxic uh, juices of offense and resentment and bitterness. I'm telling you guys, they are a real thing. They are a real thing and they are insidious. They are invisible. They are hard to detect. Sometimes you don't even realize that you've been sniffing on the, uh, the toxic fumes of bitterness until something comes out of your mouth or until you rejoice when someone else is hurt or, when, or, or you're just cold and calloused when someone's going through a difficult time and you're not even moved, you're not sensitive anymore. I'm telling you, you have to protect your heart and you have to protect your passion for Jesus. There's a, there's a story at the end of John, in John chapter 21, I believe it's starting around verse 15. Many of you, are, you know the story, but for those of you who are not familiar with it, I'll catch you up. There is one of Jesus' disciples. In fact, it's the same guy. It's, it's Simon Peter. It's the same guy that Andrew brought to Jesus. So he was with Jesus' ministry in the beginning. He was number two of the original 12. I mean, he was in the inner circle. He saw things that the other disciples didn't get to see. He knew Jesus in a way that the other disciples didn't know. And yet, at the end of Jesus' ministry, right before Jesus was about to be crucified, Simon betrays his closest friend, his spiritual father, his pastor, mentor, teacher. Simon just flat out betrays him. He just says, I don't know this guy. Wait a minute. You were with Jesus when he raised Jairus' daughter from the dead. You were part of the three. You went up to the mountain when Moses and Elijah shows up, Peter, and yet you're going to say you don't know him and imagine the pain that that put in Jesus, but imagine the pain that put in Peter. And in so many ways, each and every one of us have denied Jesus in our own way, right? And so there's this incredible redemptive moment when Jesus, he's crucified, he's resurrected, he comes back and he shows himself to his disciples and he goes especially to Peter and he says to Peter, Peter, do you love me? Three times Jesus asks Peter this question, do you love me? Yes, Jesus, you know that I love you. Okay, well, feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Jesus, you know that I love you. Okay, great, feed my lambs. Peter, do you love me? And what's happening here? Well, Peter denied Jesus three times. Some people believe that Jesus was giving Peter this redemptive moment that for each time that he denied Jesus, he was giving him an opportunity to vocally reinstate himself and to reaffirm his love three times. Yes, Jesus, I love you. I commit and I recommit myself to you. But here's the point of the story for Christy and me. There was a time in our ministry career where, where we really, really were down and we were questioning, God, are, are, are you still calling us to this? We don't know if we have the juice to do this. Our heart is fragile. We are angry. We are bitter. We feel alone. And on and on and on it goes. And Jesus somehow gloriously took us to this story. And I felt the voice of Jesus essentially saying, do you love me? Because at the end of the day, I love you. But I'm here to tell you today, Antioch is your pastor. At the end of the day, whatever happens here, I am doing this because I love Jesus. And whatever it is that Jesus has called you to, a father, a mother, a husband, a wife, the job that you work, at the end of the day, that ministry calling in every one of our ministries looks different and each and every one of them are equally as valuable. And each and every one of them has their own unique challenges. I'm looking over here at my dear sister, Mariella, who, it's, who is about to go into go mode because God has called this family and, she, and he has called Mariella in particular 
to minister to so many of the families in our community whose sons and daughters are involved in soccer. And I just want you to know, Mariella, what you spoke to me a few weeks ago was so impactful to me. And I bless your ministry to be a light and to be a witness to every one of those families who do not know Christ. Go and be a witness. And it comes with its challenges. But I want you to know today, whatever your ministry is, and most importantly, your calling to Jesus, let it be birthed. Let it be sustained out of your love for him. Let it be sustained out of your deep love for him. That only comes out of a revelation of his love for you. Number two, pay attention to your milestones. Pay attention to your milestones. I believe throughout the course of your life, we can see this in scripture, I know in my life personally, there will be moments that you have with God that mark you. They mark your life. And as they mark you, they actually shape your life in God. I think about Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. In Genesis chapter 12, the story begins and God calls Abraham right there. He says, I want you to leave your house I want you to leave your family. I want you to leave everything that you know, everything that's been secure. And son, I want you to follow me. I'm gonna take you places. And your obedience to me is actually gonna result in the salvation of nations upon nations upon nations. We are here because Abraham was faithful and obedient to God. And what we find in 10 chapters in Genesis, from Genesis 12 through 22, we find that that Abraham, whenever God would show up and meet him in a unique way, Abraham would build an altar. And then we find that Abraham would actually go back and he would revisit those altars. Abraham would dig wells. And these wells were also these these physical places of encounter with God where life would flow out. In fact, what we find is for all of our grandmothers and grandfathers and fathers and mothers in the room, when you build an altar and you revisit that, When you build a well and you keep that thing full of life, your sons and your daughters and your grandsons and your granddaughters will go back to that well and they will receive life from that. We find this happening in Genesis chapter 26. Isaac goes and all of the wells that Abraham had dug in his day, they were dried up and and Isaac went back and systematically began to redig the wells that his father had dug and he received life from them and then he dug new ones. I'm telling you today, guys, in our journey with God, God will meet us. He will meet us in profound ways. It might be at a prayer night like tonight. It might be on a mission trip. It might be in your prayer closet. It might, whatever, whatever the venue is, I want to raise the bar of your faith to believe that God will meet with you and he will mark you. He will mark you. It might be through a trial. It might be through something traumatic and atrocious that no human being should ever go through, but God shows up right in the middle of that dark night of the soul and he puts his fingerprints all over your life. Friend, I'm telling you, that's an altar and it's a milestone. It's a place where you met God in a new way where he revealed his name to you. It's a place that shaped your spiritual DNA in such a significant way that it literally makes who you are today. And I'm telling you, revisit those milestones believe God that he will encounter you and then revisit them. Because here's what I believe. I believe that those milestones don't just speak once. I believe that those milestones don't just mark you once. I believe that they have the power to continue to speak to you through the rest of your life. We see this happen in the children of Israel when they crossed the Jordan. He said, okay, I want every one of the leaders of the tribes of Israel to go grab a large stone 
take that stone and set it up as a memorial. And then he says this specifically in Joshua. He says, when your sons and daughters see that stone, they say, mom, what is that? He says, now it is a physical, tangible reminder of the work of God in your life. And you testify to the power and the goodness of God in your life. Revisit your milestones. Number three, embrace brokenness. Embrace brokenness. There's a story in Jeremiah chapter 18 that as a teenager, I would read and pray, maybe foolishly, but perhaps faithfully. But it's a story that, it's, it's a parable in Jeremiah chapter 18, first verse, where God actually speaks to Jeremiah and he says, go down, son, to the potter's wheel. And what you'll find there is you'll find a potter and he's working on a vessel. And as he's working on this vessel, the vessel in his hand gets marred. And so what the potter has to do then is he actually has to break that vessel so he can start over in order for the vessel to be made perfectly as God designed. Pastor Scott mentioned this last week. There was a song that he had, that he had written. It's called, I Want to Be Broken. And it's a song of surrender. It's a song that's very reminiscent of Matthew chapter 26, verse 36, where Jesus is in the garden of Gethsemane. He's just hours away from breathing his last breath as a human man in this world. And he's having, an, he's having a time with God. I believe it really is an, an altar moment. It's, it's, it's a place of pressing. It's a, it's a wine press moment in Jesus's life. And he's praying and he's saying, I know that I'm about, to, I'm about to pour my life out. I know that I'm about to be beaten unjustly. I know that I'm about to die a brutal death and I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I have the strength or the emotion or the willpower to do this. And then he prays this prayer. He says, he says, God, I really don't wanna do this, but not my will, not what I want. Not the things in my life that are easier, convenient or pleasurable for me, but God, let your will be done. That is the heart of the Christian life, friends. Jesus said, if you're gonna follow me, you need to deny yourself and you need to pick up your cross and you need to follow me. The, the, the life of Christianity springs out of death to ourselves. For we say, God, my flesh, my will, my power, my ego, my, my popularity, all these things, God, I lay it before you. Let those things die and let life, let new life come and spring forth from my life. Embrace brokenness. Life is hard. People can be cruel. Uh, there's more questions than answers. Things happen that are disappointing. And what do we do? We can get angry. We can get cynical. We can get jaded. Or we can say, God, I'm going to embrace brokenness. Shape me, form me. I surrender to your will. Help me through this, God. Number four, let God lead you into new endeavors. Let God lead you into new endeavors. I personally believe that as we live life in God, that there will be benchmark moments where he invites us into new challenges, where he'll invite us into new territory. Some of you, I know some of your stories in this room. Some of you guys, you don't even know how you ended up in Colorado Springs, but that you were being obedient to God. And some of you, honestly, when you came to Colorado Springs, it wasn't easy. It was extremely difficult, and yet you are here because God is leading you and has led you into new endeavors. He, he called you into new territory for you to occupy. I would not be here today. 
I believe, had God not called me in 1995 to go to Oral Roberts University, kicking and screaming, I went. And then I submitted, okay? I would not be here. I would not be the man that I am today. There would not be uh, dozens and dozens and dozens of long-term missionaries. There would not be so many marriages that got formed through our connection with the Oral Roberts University missions program. But I signed up to go to Indonesia for two months in the summer of 1996, kicking and screaming. I said, God, I'm not going on missions. He says, son, will you, will you go? And I submitted. And God did something inside of me. He gave me his heart for the peoples of the world that I did not have. And if I did not say yes, and if you don't say yes to some of the new places that God is taking you to, I'm telling you today, not only will you be missing out, but the people that you are sovereignly connected to will not receive something that they could receive from your life. Let God lead you into new places. I'm thinking of Dr. Jim right here, guys, in his 70s, completed a PhD. New territory, that was not easy. All right, on and on and on it goes from starting, from quitting your job to starting new jobs for going back to school, fighting for your marriage, fighting for your children, sticking it out in a church that was going through turbulent waters. God, lead us into new endeavors. We come to this table weekly because God has led us into new endeavors that are actually old endeavors that we had moved away from. Let God lead you to new territory. It's vital for your Christian life. Number five, stay teachable. Stay teachable, guys. This really is one of the mantras of my life. If you spend any amount of time with me, you'll know that teachability is really one of the core values, I think, of Jay Duncan's life. And I think through 25 years of preaching ministry, 20 years of vocational church work, and I thank God, if, if I didn't remain teachable, I'd get stuck and I probably would have died a long time ago, spiritually speaking. I'm so grateful for the people that God has put in my life, young, old, adversarial. <laughs> but I'm telling you, I'm telling you, when you have a teachable spirit, every, every person is your counselor. Amen. When you have a heart that can receive, every person has treasure to give to you, even if they're on your side or not. Stay teachable. Proverbs through and through talks about maintaining a heart that listens. Now, I'm, I'm gonna step here into... Um, into daddy mode. I don't know when we're to call it, but <laughs> guys, listen, I, I, I honestly believe as I, as I live life longer and I interact with more people and there are, there are a lot of us in this room even, and there are a lot of people in the world for sure that are stuck and we're stuck because we just flat out refuse to listen to difficult things from people. I think one of the saving graces of my life has been at an early age, when I was 16 years old, I went to a youth camp and there was a preacher there from Detroit, Michigan who just captured my heart. And we were out at this retreat center and so we were all having lunch in, in the mess hall and, and I ended up standing right next to him at lunch and I said, I said, Pastor Tim, I'm a young kid. I'm gonna be going to ORU next year. Would you be willing to have just 10 minutes with me and can I just ask you some questions? And I asked that guy every question that a 16 year old or 17 year old kid could think of at the moment. 
I asked him what books he was reading. I asked him what challenges and pitfalls he'd walk through in ministry. I asked him how someone like me could, could, could last in ministry. I mean, I just asked him every question I could think of. And I just, I wrote everything down. And he said, he said, Jade, I want to tell you right now. He says, he said, what you're doing right now, he says, keep this as a staple standard of your life. He says, always carry a journal and always have about 10 questions right in the back of your pocket that when God puts you uh, in connection with someone who's lived life or marriage or leadership or ministry, even a few miles down the road, he says, you sit down and you ask him every question possible. Amen. Stay hungry. Have an insatiable curiosity. Expose yourself to new things in God. Read different kinds of books. Break out of your mold. Guys, listen, take this mind of thinking off of you that is so limiting. I don't read. I'm not a learner. I didn't finish college. I didn't finish high school. You are created in the image of God. Stay curious. Stay hungry. Push the boundaries. Push the boundaries of what you're capable of in God. And stay teachable. Discipleship is a relational endeavor. It is not just this kind of enlightenment deal where we go off with the book and we come out as experts. Discipleship is relational in nature, which means that there is a measure of submission and mutual submission that we must have to the people in our lives. There are sons and daughters in this room that are struggling. And one of the reasons why we're struggling in our marriages, our finances, our child rearing is because we just won't let moms and dads say difficult things to us. Oh, no, I know, I know. I'll just watch YouTube. Oh, no, I know. I know how to do that. I mean, I'm telling you, these, these devices, if we're not careful, these devices will produce an arrogant, cynical, unteachable spirit inside of us. Put that down. Find someone who's lived life better and longer than you. Ask them out. Pay for their coffee and ask them questions. And then listen to what they have to say. Okay, I can go back and just share cute little nuggets again. You got you to gotta let someone say hard things to you. That's not natural. That's not natural, is it? Think about it. Every single one of us, we, we chafe when someone says something difficult to us. And particularly the people who love us the most. They're, try, they're saying something because they love us, because they want to bless us, because they want to help us. They don't want to control us. And yet our, our, the, the flesh inside of us, our ego, our pride, it just chafes. Uh, that I'm telling you today, sons and daughters of the living God, we must give people permission. Somebody needs to have permission in your life to say something hard to you or you're, or you're gonna die in God. You're just gonna stagnate. You're just gonna stagnate. I'm telling you today. Okay, doesn't mean, I'm not saying that you have to rush any process. Okay, I'm not saying be healed sooner than, than, than natural, normal, appropriate time frames of healing occur. But what I am saying is, is keep an open heart to trusted voices and cultivate those voices in your life. Amen? Amen. All right, I don't know what number I'm on. I, I think I'm on number six. Um, guys, your sonship and your daughterhood in God, I'm telling you, it is one of the most important things you may hear me say this so many times, but we really will not have made it as pastors if we did not discover who we are as sons and daughters. It has saved our marriage. It has transformed the way that we parent our children. So many of you have come and at different points have said, this atmosphere feels so clean. It feels so healthy. I've been in ministry. This has been healing to us. I'm telling you, here's what that is. It's sonship. It is sonship. I'm not threatened by you. 
I want your gifts to be better and bigger and further and more spectacular than mine. I want you to outshine me every day of the week. You know why I can say that? Because I am so at rest in the love of God. I am so at home. I know that the Father delights in me no matter how well I preach or do not preach. I'm not putting on a show for you. This is flowing out of a rich well of God pouring his love out on me. And listen, listen, that love is not just for me. The love, the immaculate love of God is for every single one of you sons and daughters and your life in God will rest or it will fall on your revelation of how deeply the Father loves you and your ability to drink that in deeply and receive it and own it and everything flow out of that. You are not first a business owner who makes a lot of money. You are not first a worship leader who sings amazing songs. You are not, you're not first any of those things. You are a son who the Father in heaven is crazy about you. You are a daughter who is pure. You are worthy. You are acceptable. And the Father is crazy about you. That is who you are. Not what you earn. Not what you do. Not your measure of success or lack thereof. It is who, you, who, it is who the Father says that you are. Number seven, or six, (laughs) or seven. Wherever you are in your notes, just put the next number. This this one is very, very personal, and and it's connected to number one, but it's a little bit different. The first number I said was, you gotta protect your passion for Jesus. But number seven is you have to fight, you have to, you have to fight for your heart. Proverbs chapter four, verse 23 says that that the heart is the wellspring of life. I'm telling you, not just in in pastoral ministry, this is life, divorce, loss of a loved one, job opportunity that didn't go through, you, you name it. Life as we know it in this fallen world wants to steal and kill and to destroy. And you have to fight for number one. You've got to fight for hope in your heart, friends. Jesus Christ, who is the hope of glory. Man, without hope is the oxygen to our faith. If we have no faith, we have no hope. Our faith cannot breathe. We have no incentive to do anything in God. This is why in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul says, if we don't believe in the resurrection of the dead, what... Life is futile. Why is that? Because all of Christian hope hangs on the resurrection of Jesus. But you have to fight for hope. When you know that hope is waning and the flicker of hope is dying inside of you, I'm telling you, get people call, send out flares, send out SOSs. My hope is waning. Help me. Speak hope to my soul. I'm dying here. Send me a life raft. You need people in your life. And here's the thing. This is the beautiful thing about the church. The church is not a program. It's not an institution. It's not a building. The church is belonging to a people. Who knows you? Who can you call when your hope is dying and you need someone to send you a life raft? Who can you call? Find someone. Pray for someone. Pray for someone. I'm telling you, in this room, there are dozens of people that would be more than willing to run to your aid when hope begins to flicker. You've got to fight for hope. You have to fight for your joy. You have to fight to keep your heart clean 
and not cynical and jaded. And this, this right here, this right here, forgiveness. Forgiveness. My soul was dying 12 years ago. I met a young man who shared with me principles of forgiveness. You gotta identify the thing that took place. You gotta identify the emotions that were stirred up and that were affected and that were afflicted, that were offended. You've gotta identify judgments that you made against that person or against that situation. You've gotta break off every interval that you made. There's a thorough process that cleanses the heart. Because I'm here to tell you today, friends, and we've seen this happen. We've seen this happen in mega ministries. Everything, size and numbers and all of that, that's a charade. What is, ha- what, what is real is what is flowing out of the well of your heart. I could say all the right things, but you know it. You've seen it. Some of you have been with me for 15 years. There have been seasons in my life where you're like, oh, Pastor Jay needs to go clean that out a little bit. <laughs> Pastor Jay's leaking a little bit. Probably he's a little toxic. I promise to you, I will run to God. You come and you tell me, I will run to God. And I will say, God, I need you to clean my heart. I gotta fight for my heart. I gotta fight for the purity of my heart. You have to fight for your heart, you guys. Fight for your heart. All right, now I'm going off the grid, so I'm gonna use different numbers. All right, number eight. Thank you, thank you. I love this, I love this. Uh, I would say number eight would be relying on the empowerment of the spirit. Rely on, learn the movement of the Holy Spirit. Do you realize, I just discovered something a few weeks ago. We'll preach on this sometime later this year. In John chapter 14 through 15 and 16, Jesus, before he leaves, he begins to just give all these incredible gems. He never talks about the Holy Spirit until he's about to leave. And then just just days before he leaves, he pulls his disciples together and he says this. He goes, guys, I need to leave. And guess what? It's better for you that I leave. And to which I go, wait, hold up. You're Jesus. Okay, and what's better than Jesus but to have Jesus right here? We're eating dinner together. We're having fish together. We're casting out demons together. I'm seeing dead people raised together. There's nothing better than this. It does not get better. And yet Jesus goes, it's better for you that I go away. Because if all of you want to do what you saw me do, I've got to go so you can receive the very spirit that enabled and empowered me to do the things that you love that I did. What's better, one person casting out demons or an army of sons and daughters casting out demons and healing the sick and feeding the hungry and bringing the kingdom? He said, it's better for you that I go. And then he says this. I'll have to find the exact verse because I haven't memorized this one yet. But Jesus says this. He says, everything that the Father has showed me. How many of you guys would like to know some of the things, some of the secrets, some of the mysteries, some of the hidden wisdom, the treasures, the gems? The How many of you guys would like to know some of the things that the Father has showed and shared to Jesus? Anybody? Okay, nobody. I, I'll take it all then. I'll take it all. I'll take it all. Jesus says this. He says, the Holy Spirit will share with you the very things that I tell him that the Father told me. That's Holy Ghost, guys. The Holy Spirit will share with you the things that Jesus is speaking to you that the Father shared with him. You need wisdom for a situation? Lean in. The voice voice of God will speak to you. Your soul is knotted up. The voice of God will speak to you. 
We would not be here today if it were not for the tangible, real, living, now, personal, dynamic ministry of the Holy Spirit. He is a healer. He is a leader. He is a resurrector. He is a comforter. He is a counselor. He is present to you now. And anything and everything that we do that will produce life will only happen because the Holy Spirit is doing it in us. In everything that we do, guys. All right, well, I got, I got a few more things. We'll save those for another time. Let me just say this in closing. I think probably one of the, the most transformative realizations in, in my life is this ministry to God is this. Ministry to God is out of the overflow of God's love for me that I love him and I love people. That's it, guys. If there ever comes a day where I'm not standing in this position, my prayer is that I can love God and love people. And that would be ministry. Whether I'm loving God and loving people as a coach at the YMCA, or whether I'm loving God and loving people by doing people's taxes faithfully and helping them to walk in integrity, or whether I'm loving God and loving people by the way I treat those closest to me. And listen, 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 listen. If it is not affecting the way that you treat the people closest to you, you need to go reevaluate it. If it's not affecting the way that you husband your wife or wife your husband or parent your children, if it's not affecting it, you gotta let the work of God go deeper in your life. Friends, it's been a joy. It's been a joy. Yeah, there have been hard moments. There have been disappointing moments. There have been crushing moments. But our goal is that we continue to live for Jesus and love Jesus. And out of the overflow of that relationship in Jesus, that you guys begin, begin to be beneficiaries and recipients of life. But listen, listen, that doesn't just all rest on us. What would a house look like if we all lived this way? What would a house look like if we all said, we're gonna, we're gonna keep following Jesus. We're gonna keep letting life flow into us. We're gonna keep getting healed. We're gonna keep being life givers. We're gonna keep forgiving. We're gonna keep our hearts clean. We're gonna keep reaching out. We're gonna keep loving the lost. What would a house look like? Let's find out. Let's be that house. Would you stand with me this morning? Jesus, thank you so much for your, for your faithfulness to us. I mean, it's, it's one thing, Jesus, to follow you for decades. It's another thing entirely to look at how faithful you were to your Father, the living God. And today we come to this table, which is a physical, tangible picture of your faithfulness and obedience to the Father. You laid your life down, and now we are recipients of this life. Friend, if you're here today, I'm not here just to give kind of self-help ideas. I'm not here to pep rally you and jazz you up. I'm here to proclaim to you that God in heaven created you in his image, that he loves you beyond what you will ever be able to comprehend despite what you've ever done against him. He will wipe away every ounce of shame and fear and regret and guilt, and he will so fill you with his very nature. And that has been made possible because his son Jesus was sent to this earth to live a sinless life so that he could die 
in our place. We deserved death physically and spiritually, but Jesus died in our place to bring us back into fellowship, relationship, and the family of God. Don't live another day without God, guys. Don't live another day far from him. Don't live another day under the dominion of the devil. Don't live another day where the enemy just has a field day accusing you. Live in the life of God. It's available to you. Jesus said, receive me and you will receive life. This is so simple. It's Jesus, forgive me of my sin. Welcome me into your home. That's it. Forgive me of your sin. Forgive me of my sin. I believe you're God's son. I believe that you are the resurrection of the life. Welcome me into your family. Fill me with your life. Fill me with your spirit. You could pray that now. You could pray that in the car going home. You could pray that tonight before you put your head down to sleep. But friends, if you're far from God, don't live another day away from him. He is knocking on the door of your heart. He loves you. You are not here by accident. Father, today, I pray that your spirit minister to every single one of us and draw us near. As we come to the table of God, I want you to know that you are welcomed and you are wanted in this house. You are welcomed and you're wanted at this table. Please come receive the body and the blood of Jesus. Antioch, would you lead the way? Thank you for listening to the Antioch Church Sermon of the Week. For more information about us, visit AntiochCOS.com.